Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is our review of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, as you've been with us, we are reviewing eight films this weekend. Technically, this film is an anthology, so we're actually reviewing, like... 14 films. I don't know how you do the math for this thing. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about this film. Uh, I think we're going to have to do it a little bit differently because it is an anthology. We will sort of like do one review of it, but we'll break it down by each of the stories in it. Um, try not to be too spoilery. Uh, but I mean, these are ve- like some of these things are very, very short where not a lot <laughs> happens. So it'll be. We won't necessarily have a lot to say, but we're going to kind of treat each story independently and at the end give an overall review for the anthology as a whole. Um, I don't think we've even done an anthology. On yeah, I the, think this is a first for us. So, yay. yay. <laughs> uh, should we listen to the trailer? Yep. All right, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and we're going to come back with a review of each of the little shorts in the anthology. People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. This'll tell the tale. Buster Scruggs. You're shooting iron work. Appears to do, yes. Do you have anything to say before a sentence is carried out? Sentence? What's my sentence? have a way of escalating out here in the West. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. That man is a wonder. Oh, but just have to see him. Ah, crazy business. <laughs> First time. All right, so that was the trailer for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It is a new little anthology film that was released on Netflix, and it's the latest thing from the Coen brothers. Uh, We are here to talk about it. Uh, Basically, the entire series as a whole kind of depicts some of the uh, ups and downs of life in the frontier, uh, early America. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, each one kind of shows the struggles of what it was like to be around in that time, the type of people you encountered, and the sort of things that you might encounter during that life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So the first story in the anthology is actually called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It is a story about a singing gunslinger. Yeah. (laughs) 
Stephen, what did you think of the part of the anthology that was actually the title piece from the story, yep. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? So, uh, so are we waiting for a like review of the whole thing at the end? Like, if, if there's general things about the anthology itself, should I do that now or later? Well, we can do that at the end, yeah. So okay. we'll, we'll kind of talk about this story by itself, and then after we've talked about all the stories, we can kind of talk about it as a whole and then give a review. Sure. So... This one, more than any of them, and a lot, I think, fit this criteria, feels like an idea they had when they were filming the Western scenes in Hail Caesar and decided, <laughs> like, it would be awfully fun to just make a whole movie of those. Yeah. Um, this short, in particular, is definitely the most absurdist of any of them. I think it sets a tone that the rest do not deliver on, which, probably for the best, though, I would have been wildly amused if they did anyway. Uh, it basically follows this singing gunslinger as he just goes from town to town singing his song and murdering people and crazy CG will follow eventually. Um, <laughs> Is it in CG? It almost looks like stop motion. Yeah, like... it almost looks like stop motion. It, it looks like something that could have been made at any time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I liked it. I thought it was, it, it definitely got you in the headspace of the Coen brothers, which is this blend of comedy and nihilism that they do so well, where like at any moment things can be very silly and very awkward or they could be brutally violent. Um, and in this one, he just goes from town to town, which shot in an interesting way. There's a shot inside an acoustic guitar. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. It's like, I, a, I haven't seen this shot before. I know. I've never seen that one. Uh, it felt very old school to me. Uh, you've probably never seen El Topo, which is a much weirder movie than this. But uh-huh. <laughs> some shots here even reminded me of that, of the kind of like old old school, strange 70s takes on these things. Um I don't know. I, I thought it was silly. It, it was a minor one in the catalog, but I thought it definitely set things off on the right foot that, like, you should expect these to be a little bit fantastical and very throwbacky and much more, like, taking joy in oldie tropes than, like, being a realistic Western <laughs> in yeah, its yeah. own right. But I, I, he does a cool move with a wooden plank at some point that I enjoyed. <laughs> I enjoyed mightily. Um, yeah, so uh, going into the film, like I was excited to see whatever the Coen brothers were doing and it coming to Netflix was like, cool, that makes it easy to watch, see and review. So I like I, I didn't know much about it other than it was like vaguely cowboyish related. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but going into it, I'd only talked to one other person who had seen it and they did not care at all for this anthology. So I was kind of like, whoa, OK, A, I didn't know it was an anthology. B sad to hear that they didn't like it at all mm. um and i kind of was like okay let's see what we're getting in hit the button bloom like netflix logo goes we start off and then this this short starts and i'm like this is fucking great <laughs> <laughs> like a, as you said it, it does set a tone that i'm not sure the rest of them can match um not necessarily for ill but like other ones it's sort of like a descending scale of playfulness right and, yeah, I think that's true. And I think that, like, it kind of – there's this sort of curve that it goes on where it's, like, extremely playful, sort of playful, mm, sort of, like, simple with some playful elements. But and elegant. Then, like, seri- yeah, then it becomes more and more serious and it's kind of somber. Mm. And then it sort of becomes more – like, it just, it just becomes interesting, right? Like, it ends in a place where it's not necessarily not funny. It's not necessarily too serious, but it's – interesting and like more thinkingness and um but but yeah this has so much style so much fun just like the music is great um i will say the one thing is 
I buy the 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 singing gunslinger like that sounds like he is actually singing it. Mm-hmm. He is introduced to another character who sings, who feels like the it feels like he's lip syncing. Like yeah. it feels like somebody else is singing, not that person. And it kind of drew me out a little bit, but that's just like a, a minor nitpick. I really loved that, this this part of the anthology. Like the, it was like amazing, and I had a great time with it. And it's it definitely just, on the humorous end of the Coen Brothers feeling but it, it does have like their general themes right like the cyclical nihilism or whatever like that's all there like the playful death and like and, yeah i get but, it but it, but it contained all the fun parts of like that gun gunslinger who is so good and is sort of like uh he, he just has that error about him where like you because he's sort of weird you sort of misjudge him as actually being really really proficient in mm-hmm. what he is doing which is gunslinging and he just like when he comes in like the first place that he enters into and he's like i would like to partake in some whiskey at this fine establishment yeah. <laughs> there's just like a, a something about him that is incredibly watchable like i would have watched the whole film about this character if mm-hmm. i could um unfortunately i can't because this is a short part of the anthology um but yeah i i, I really love this short mm-hmm. cool all right, so the next um, short that appears in this anthology is a film that I will – or a short that I will totally mispronounce. But it's Near ne- Algodones. Yeah, Near Algodones. <laughs> um, and it involves a man going into a very small town, mm-hmm. which is apparently just a bank <laughs> and a well, and then uh, maybe trying to hold up the bank. Yep. <laughs> um, what did you think of this film, Stephen? I thought much like SNL has like sketches that work and sketches that you see where it's going, but the sketch itself doesn't work that well. Yeah. I felt like this, this is that sketch in the anthology where like the idea is like, again, it's the kind of cyclical nihilism thing. Like he is going to over and over again, the James Franco lead character (laughs) is going to have situations where things are almost over and then something's going to happen. Right. And I thought this was the weakest of the six, in my opinion. I, I didn't get much out of it. I, Stephen Root as the bank teller was entertaining. <laughs> I liked him. Like all of these are the Cohen brothers cranking their Cohenness to eleven in yeah. ways that like you're either on board for or you aren't. And I'm generally very on board for them. Um, I, I this one just didn't do much for me. Like it was, it was fine a- after that first bank scene. I didn't really care much about about this one pro or con. Steve Root is worth it anyway. <laughs> um, I actually enjoy this film, this this one a lot. Um, I think this is this is we've talked about other film like full films in the past where like you're just enjoying the ride, but like the 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 not twist, but like there is something that happens at the end of the film that justifies this whole thing. And I think that there is there is a one uh, smash cut, <laughs> which is so beautiful <laughs> that made me like actually laugh out loud which involves uh, a character just declaring the fate of a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, that was the whole punchline of this whole thing was like, survive all of this. And then this happens. Yep. <laughs> like that sort of, it, it reminded me much, uh, if I can digress for a second. Um, uh, there was a, uh, the first time that I saw blazing saddles, mm-hmm. um, I was I was unaware what blazing blazing saddles was. I was on a vacation. I was hanging out with some people. You thought it was a serious western. We we went to Blockbuster 
and somebody is like, oh, we should watch Blazing Saddles. It's really good. Nobody said it's really funny. It, nothing. Everybody was like, oh, it's really good. And I was like, I'm not really in the mood for a Western. They're like, no, no, trust me. It's really good. I'm like, fine. We put it on and I was not prepared for the level of humor. And there, there was like one shot where <laughs> I remember the first time that I laughed out loud during Blazing Saddles is mm-hmm. it, something's happening inside a building and they look out the window <laughs> and there was a man on the gallows with a noose around his neck on top of a horse <laughs> with the noose around the neck of the horse. Mm-hmm. And it was like just visual gags like that were like, okay, this, this, this I'm in for like a really awesome treat here. Yeah. Um, obviously, Blazing Saddles is amazing. On the off chance that you were crazy like me and had not seen it, go watch Never it. Never right heard now. of it. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the short itself doesn't have a lot besides just sort of the punchline of this gag. Mm-hmm. And because it made me laugh out loud, I, I enjoyed it. Like, obviously, as you said, like the interactions in the the bank and the crazy, like, hoo-hoo, sometimes people try to rob me. It's not too good. Like, that sort of, like, the, the characters were fun. James Franco was fine. But, like, just that that smash cut, just it, it made me giggle out loud. And it's one of the only times I giggled out loud in all of these. So yeah. it, it just... I still appreciate it. It's not like a profound thing. It's just a good, like, <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> All right. So let's move on to the third one, um, which is called Meal Ticket. The quality of mercy is not strained. <laughs> um, and it basically involves a traveling pair on the front ter- tier. One is uh, pear <laughs> is a paraplegic man. Who dresses and and recites like Shakespeare and biblical stuff the Declaration and like, of Independence? Yeah, basically, it's like anything that a person could say in front of people. He does that, and it's sort of the man who is both taking care of this person and sort of using them as a way to make money. Um, and it's just about this traveling duo, duo and sort of where their uh, travel takes them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you have a strange smile on your face, Stephen, what did you think of this one? I love this one. <laughs> I thought this one was probably the most self-referential of the bunch where like, it's clearly skewering like the, you know, art versus commerce thing, right? Like what is the value of art, especially in those days, like this legless, armless person that all he does is like recites Shakespeare for people. And sometimes they care. Sometimes they really don't care at all. And the movie just lets us like, it's a thing that a few of these shorts do where it lets us just like live in that kind of monotony for a while of like <laughs> also it's quadriplegic. Yeah, yeah, quadriplegic. <laughs> yep. My bad. <laughs> yeah. Well well and it needs a new word too because he doesn't even have the arms and yeah, legs. Yeah. <laughs> um but but yeah, it just lets you like live in that routine over and over again just so it can slowly make it worse and worse and worse before shaking it up in a truly wonderful punchline. <laughs> um I won't spoil it, but it involves the pick and Pythagorean. <laughs> um otherwise known as the MCU, probably. I, I don't know exactly what is in their head for that one. But uh, I, I just thought it was it was very, like, it was a silly thing played earnestly, right? Like, you feel for this character, Dudley from Harry Potter, as he, like, <laughs> goes throughout his day very earnestly, like, quoting his Shakespeare and quoting the <laughs> Declaration of Independence and everything. And... He's just watching life happen to him, whereas Liam Neeson is a rough, real person in the West who has real needs, right? And I. <laughs> in the scene where he takes care of his real needs. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that was great. So amazing. It, it was basically like in every movie when there's a moment when a person like takes their parents' picture frame and flips it upside down. Yeah, yeah. This. This was. This was one of those. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I thought this was like that blend of humor and dourness that the Coens do best, and I I really it really so enjoyed fucking it. Twisted too. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed this one a lot too. It, it's it is funny because it's doing all the, the going of Shakespeare and things where it's like it's it's shouting all this like highbrow stuff and the performance is really good and you're like all right cool where are we going with this mm-hmm. and it's sort of like it just slowly devolves into a thing that becomes sadder and sadder <laughs> and sadder. Um, I yeah I I also really enjoyed it. It has a great uh, just uh, got me a hook line and sinker. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. So the next film in the anthology is called All Gold Canyon and is about an old prospector <laughs> looking for Mr. Pocket. <laughs> it's about like a, a gold panner, pan golder. What, what do they call it? Gold? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's pan of gold. <laughs> it's a man who is trying to find gold in this little creek. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of digging along this hillside trying to strike it rich and find gold. Um, I think this sort of um, takes us in a transition to truly showing life out on the frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of All Gold Canyon? I, I really like this one, too. This is with uh, Tom Waits, who's a pretty awesome singer. You might recognize his voice if you hear it. Um as the prospector who just, again, it's that monotonous kind of thing of day in, day out. It's going to be the same thing. He's looking for gold, looking for Mr. Pocket, looking for Mr. Pocket. He knows he's going to find it eventually, knows he's going to find it. And you know, because this is Cohen universe, that not all good things that you deserve will come to pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, this movie subverts that in a few ways that I enjoyed. Uh, again, it was very elegant, simple. Uh, very much like a parable almost. It, it wasn't as silly as the other ones. Um, I, I liked it. I thought it looked pretty. All of these settings, by the way, we haven't talked about it yet, look really pretty, Like given yeah. the fact that they are doing a kind of cheesy send-up of Westerns rather than a realistic portrait of life in the West. Um, I think they're prettier than they need to be, <laughs> and this is definitely a, a lovely one that takes some twists and turns that I liked a lot. Yeah, I, I think the prettiness of the opening of this shot, like there's almost like nature porn at the beginning of the short. And mm-hmm. I feel like based on the way it was presenting nature and the way the character takes a moment to stand and look at it, I totally misjudged where this was going. I thought this was going to be like, I thought this is going to be like the one story that was sort of environmentalist themed, where it was going to be like this person taking this beautiful, serene place and destroying it in the pursuit of like finding gold. Mm-hmm. That was not the story at all. So yep. I was pleasantly surprised Oh, where things are going in this film. Um, but yeah, in, in general, I, I also enjoyed this one. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's another one that's based on like a silly character. And I sort of, uh, it, 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 it's not necessarily at my top, but I very much enjoyed it. Yep. Cool. Um, so the next one in the series is called the gal who got rattled. Um, and it is, it is sort of the the most uh, this is what life on the frontier was like. It kind of follows a young woman who her and her brother and a hired boy um, are making their way with a caravan of covered wagons across 
the planes of something or other trying to get to some town. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it sort of just involves um, in during the long journey, things can happen. Uh, unfortunate things can happen. And based on who is traveling with you, there may be debts that need to be paid, blah, 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 blah. It's sort of just, it's sort of like an, it encapsulates, encapsulates everything about the, like the Oregon Trail. Yeah, exactly. It's Oregon right? Trail, that's yeah. short. I this was my favorite of the six. Uh, I thought this was great. I learned today too that it is based on a short story of the same name that was published a long time ago. That was very terrible and very different in its treatment <laughs> of the women and things like that. Uh, this movie definitely flips it in an interesting way. I, I told Chris I almost paused this short like two thirds of the way through to text you and be like how did they make something so sweet and heartwarming in the middle of this anthology? Um, I'm glad I didn't, but I almost did. Um, (laughs) And this is, regardless of where it goes or doesn't go, this is a very, like, sweet short. And I think Zoe Kazan really, really sells it well. Uh, This character of Alice, I think is her name. I'm I'm not positive. Yeah, I think so. Um, As she's just, like... Like, in general, there aren't really female characters in these shorts, right? It's like a man's world. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of a little look at what does it mean to be like one of the women that is just being dragged around in this world without any say in the matter. And there's a really charming little romance that develops in this movie where it, it, it's very simple. Like, I honestly can't tell you why I liked it so much. Like, it, it's a really simple story of a, a guy and a gal where the guy is trying to do the right thing and he's nice and he's a little shy and he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> the guy's a little all shucks. Yeah, he's very all shucks. Yeah. Uh, in, in a classic Cohen move, his way of proving that he wants to do the right thing <laughs> involves shooting a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have put it past them at all to show him grinning wildly while holding a dead dog carcass to win her favor. That, that would be right out of the playbook. Um <laughs> I tried to shoot him, and what do you know? He just jumped out of my hands. I yeah. don't even know if I hit him at all. President Polk just got away. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was it was nice. And again, it, it, it ends with one of those buttons that is like the cohen like, let's bring it back to how fucking miserable this place was. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought it was great. I think this is probably the longest of any of the shorts. Oh, it's, yeah, it's 100% the longest. Yeah. Like, this is like a full short film, while some of the other ones are little sort of vignettes yeah. of life out in the frontier. I, I think this justifies it. And I also think this is a good reason why reviewing them individually doesn't totally make sense, even though I get why we're stepping through them. Yeah, yeah. Because this movie, it hits with the emotional weight it does because of all the stuff we've seen before already, where it's been like darkly funny, dark, death dark and then all of a sudden seeing like a little love blossom there if you just opened with this one it would feel maybe like it's being ironic or like it's like making fun of it but after seeing all that this one like hits you in like a real place yeah yeah, Uh, i I was really feeling this one and yeah i i loved it yeah i think that this one is the most complete story it has like a full beginning middle and end Mm -hmm. um it's it's quote enjoyable i'm doing air quotes right now (laughs) because like obviously it's not necessarily a happy story but i think it really it communicates the all of what the other films are trying to do like the other films are all set in this time this is the film that is the most about that time yeah not just one aspect but about the whole experience of it and you like characters state things about like their intentions for the world and what they're trying to do and characters are like putting themselves through things due to obligations and they're worrying about those obligations being met. And it's, it's, 
I think it's a really interesting story of characters and ends with a wallop. So, mm-hmm. and Zoe Kazan, I think MVP of this anthology. In my, she definitely like has the most real emotion of any character yeah. in any of these. Uh, there's this moment when the male romantic character who is talking to her, he is trying to get into a conversation and he gives her an ultimatum or an idea he had and he steps back and is like, I have ambushed you. And she has this like <laughs> shocked look on her face that we both know is like not an unhappy shock. But he doesn't yet, and there's just something so like charming about yeah, it. Yeah. She she really charms her way through this one, and it, it, I, I do I do like too that like of all of, of all the films, this is the one that's like the oldie style of talking, and it's like the real like. And yet sh- you are so very easy yeah. To it's talk like to. it's like the 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 chivalrous kind of sort of interactions and talking proper to one yeah. another. It's, I, there's something there's a charm that it has that the other films don't um, that I really really enjoyed. So mm-hmm. I I appreciate this film a lot. And a very classic, like, short story set up, too, with the ending and everything. It's, like, yeah, yeah. very concise, tight. Yep. Cool. And so there's one more that aired after this one. Um, it is called The Mortal Remains. And uh, it is essentially, um, it's, I mean, in a way, it's sort of like, uh, it's like the opening to Hateful Eight, right? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's a, a very long conversation in a stagecoach. Yeah, in a stagecoach. Um, and uh, that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, has anybody here seen Molly? M O double L. What did you think of this uh, one, Stephen? I think this was maybe the most Cohen-y of any of them, <laughs> just in the way it indulges all of these characters. I don't remember who all was even in it. Uh, I know Brendan Gleeson was one of them. Uh, I know a Frenchman is there. There's a prim and proper woman there. It, it's got a little bit of everything, and it's just like a a long, enjoyable series of conversations between people who don't like each other very much. <laughs> yeah. um, and it like it, it pivots over time, like the meaning of the different characters. It feels like it would be a really fun play or scene from a play to do, yeah. right? Where everyone gets to play them. Like MVP of this one is guy. One guy is telling a story about a Polish man, and someone else kind of wakes and goes like, "Here, the Polak." <laughs> And then the guy is like, yeah, I know Polak was. <laughs> and and that, that was just like peak going to me of the way these characters kind of interject. Like you can you can feel like the M dashes and the dialogue as they like just like step over each other <laughs> trying yeah, to yeah. talk. Um, and then it turns kind of like creepy horror in the end. Like it's about how stories can kind of have a way of like shifting over time. And I, I thought it was a fun exercise in pure dialogue, right? Yeah, like yeah. it was it was a very entertaining thing that in any other Coen Brothers movie would be like a sizable long dialogue in the middle portion that you would like. And I'm glad they found a way to include it here too. So yeah. not as big as the other ones or anything, but I, I, I still liked it. Yeah. So it's not as big as the other ones, but this might be my favorite in the bunch. Um, I I really like – I mean I, I always love – really dialogue heavy like as you're saying like people bouncing back and forth and just kind of characters having this like rambling conversation with each other and like once again we we return to like it's bookended by things that heavily feature singing and characters saying things and just the tones between the two different people who are singing in their songs the the stories being told by the characters who are meeting um and as you slowly start to figure out what's going on and kind of what we're actually watching unfold um, right around the time that like somebody keeps poking their head out of the stage, coaching be like, yeah. "Hey, pull over, pull over!" I'm yep. like, "Oh fuck, mm-hmm. this is awesome!" 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, I really like, like, obviously this is sort of the most fantastical of the films. Like, mm-hmm. even just, like, the color palette, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's like sort of this gothic color palette of... I would argue being, maybe the first is the most fantastical. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But I, I get what you mean. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but they are literally bookended as, like, this is... This is of, very fairy tale. Yeah, this is sort of, like, the creation. Like, this one starts us off, sets the tone, sends us off into this journey, and this one closes us from the mm-hmm. journey. And, and I really... Um, I almost feel like in in a more typical uh, – I mean I guess it would be – like in, in some anthologies you would carry some characters between the yep. different things that you're watching. So I could see a version of this final tale where they had certain people from previous stories mm-hmm. there. It would change the mechanics of how information is divvied to you, the viewer, Um in those moments, but maybe they could do a thing where like you don't see the faces, you just hear them and then mm-hmm. you slowly start to like catch on. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really like this one. This is the one that had the best sort of reveal of intention um, mm-hmm. compared to the other films. Um, it wasn't the most stylized. It wasn't the most honest. It was just the most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I think I, I really like the the juxtaposing the first one and the last one like yeah. the their, their tones were so great yeah. as as opposite pieces of one another um and i really i really just enjoyed this one um and yeah. it i don't know if i'm willing like bullet to my head i don't know if i'd say this is the best but it's definitely one of my favorite it felt like a really good end to this anthology well, yeah well well i'll say to you that's why ranking them isn't necessary right because yeah, this yeah. is a whole that you know this isn't an anthology series right it's an anthology film like it's yeah. one thing and i think it is clearly about mythologies and the stories we choose to tell and the way that it opens with Buster Scruggs, the like singing character, singing of his great deeds. And then we see how that goes. And then we're whisked further and further into the storytelling as it gets darker and darker and darker until by the end, we see kind of like the dark side of storytelling itself and the, uh, yeah. the narratives that we tell. And I think the, the way we haven't talked about this at all yet, but the framing device of this movie is a book being opened. Yeah. And each of these, I don't know how much, uh, Ethan, is he the one who writes or Joel? I really should have looked that I up first. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know how much of this they actually wrote, but it feels like there is a whole book that they made yeah. of telling these stories. And each story is basically like a page is turned. We see a beautiful like watercolor picture. We with like a it. with like a quote that yeah. sort of pertains to what you're about to see. Exactly, it's kind of like the the epilogue or like the perfect quote of each bit. The epitaph. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> then you see the name of the story, and then it fades into the movie. And at some point in the movie, that shot will look very, very, very similar to the watercolor picture that you saw. Yeah, yeah. And this is like, it's a lovely framing device, right? Like it's really pretty, and it's just moving us from tail to tail to tail. Yeah. And I think they do culminate in this kind of feeling of like. The world is a dark, dark place. I, I don't know that there's a lot of uplift in these movies, but, like, there's something there that I still really enjoyed. Like, I didn't find it as dour as, like, my brain maybe would if I thought about it too long. And I, I just like how much fun they're having with storytelling and with the art of, like, I don't know. It, it's definitely something about, like, why do we tell ourselves these stories and what are we hoping to get out of it that I think was really interesting. Yeah, and, and it's interesting given the world of technology that we're in, um that like because this is a streaming thing on Netflix, I could have paused on those shots and read all of the mm-hmm. pages that were visible. 
I chose to watch it as the filmmakers intended, which is I'm a slow reader. I can't read that much. But it was interesting to have like fade out from the story. And as they turn the page, you can read like the last bit of the paragraph. And it's like, and then the character wondered how he would blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, yeah, I want to read the But like, I was like, I totally could have stopped it, but I didn't because I was engrossed in the story. And I I didn't want to try to read more than what I was able to sort of gleam from just like my quick glance before the page turned. But it definitely was a, a nice stylistic touch for what we are viewing. Yeah. Sweet. Um, well, we have reviewed all of them individually. We've kind of touched a little bit on how the whole thing is framed, but uh, let's go ahead and sort of jump into just our thoughts on the anthology as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess we can just do verdicts and kind yeah, of I think encapsulate it in it. Yeah. yeah. So Stephen Miller, if you're going to say must see a record of the caveat, wait for until past the caveat or a must avoid, what would you give it? You know, what's funny about the Coen brothers is a lot of times that thing will come out and I'll be like, decently positive on it when i see it and then over the days of thinking about it it grows and grows and grows in my mind um a, a lot of them have been like that actually in the <laughs> in the coen brothers anthology and this is definitely one of those where i think if gun to my head you asked me to review it yesterday right after i watched it i would have been recommended with a caveat i'd be like it was, it was nice you know it's coheny very coheny each story <laughs> has something to recommend it it kind of feels like them getting to go wild it could have never been made as like a regular movie with a regular release so like it's a really good example of something netflix would empower you to do that you couldn't otherwise do but i wouldn't have felt that big about it and then just letting it kind of marinate for a little bit it is growing in my mind and now like everyone feels like it has something to recommend it and i think the piece is Great. So it's up to a must-see already for me now. Where yeah. I, I feel much stronger about it already. And I think, like, they're just such good storytellers. Like, everything demands, if not a second watch, at least a second real thought through. Because it just builds. Like, there's so much waiting. So I think this is a great example of what Netflix is good for. And I wish I had seen it in theaters anyway. We had that chance. I, I didn't take it, unfortunately. Yeah, I didn't either. Um but I, I would have loved to see this on a big screen because I think it's it, beautiful and entertaining and it isn't heavy. It, like it's kind of trifling, right, when you really think about it. But then it, the package of watching all of them together like is an interesting story that I like a lot. Yeah, I think that if I was if I was truly doing the quote recommendations on a scale that I thought was appropriate for me recommending to other people, I'd probably knock it down to a recommend with a caveat. Um, but if I'm doing what Carson always yells at me to do, which is rate it for myself, this is a must-see. <laughs> um, I, like As I said, the only person besides us I know who I talked about having seen it didn't care for it at all. Mm-hmm. So like that would be the caveat is that like I don't know if you'll love it. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was a great thing to watch. I would have loved to see it in theaters as well. Um, it worked out perfectly, though, because I had to split it to see something else. So I was watching it, had to stop it before the last two pieces, go watch another film, and then come back and then finish those two pieces right before split it, going on to another film, which we didn't review um, yeah. here. Um, but um, actually, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was the... It was Thunder Road that I did. Yeah, you, watch. you had already seen Ralph Breaks the Internet at this point. Yeah, yeah but there's another Netflix, uh, the film Cam, oh, uh, which okay. I actually watched oh, that was yeah. on Netflix, um, which we are not doing a review of. Nope. But anyways, yeah, so I, I really love this film. Uh, must see for me. Very much glad that I was able to catch it. And like we, we've told you a little bit about each of them. You could, in theory, 
watch just the ones that sounded interesting to you. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it, though. I mean, n- none of them are that long. Yeah, yeah And, yeah. like, I think it's worth ruminating in it. Because definitely, like, a thing about them, all their movies, but especially this one, is that, like, the bits that you would want to fast forward through are also the bits that set the tone for the good bits that are coming later. Yeah, yeah. Like, you need to kind of let yourself be hypnotized into the Coenverse in order to enjoy it. Sure. So I think, like... I, I would not recommend skipping anything. Yeah, yeah. even well, the I, James Franco one, which I didn't like. I, I wouldn't either. I just, I just mean that, like, in a, in a world where, like, you're like, I don't really want to watch it, but they said something really good about this one. Maybe I'll just watch that one. Mm-hmm. If you like, gun to your head, if you're only going to see the one, it would be possible to do that. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I will say also. Uh, watching that really did make me want to go back to Red Dead Redemption Two, <laughs> which I bought for the PS4. And have literally played the opening of the game. I don't even think I'm far enough in to actually save it. I just have the game in sleep mode. <laughs> um, and I'm like, you know what? I want to go do some frontiery cowboy shit. <laughs> so I, I've never played it, but I did watch many younger people playing it during Thanksgiving. No, oh, nice. And I, I can see the uh, the allure, especially connected to Buster Scruggs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I'll just put. But do on. they let you kick a board on a table? To hit some, uh, you can gun. do a shit ton of stuff in that game. It's surprising how much stuff they put into that game. Mm. Um, at least so I've been told. Like I've I heard, said. it's also like Farmville, where you have to like maintain a bunch of shit in order for it to be good. <laughs> well, it, it, it's like a life simulator on the frontier. Like there's a lot of shit you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, Stephen Miller. If people want to find you that week, where can they do that? They can go to Twitter.com/slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. Uh, people can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. Uh, you can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. We have two more things to review, so we're going to go skedaddle and hop into our stagecoach and go uh, right off into the uh, sunset. Mm-hmm. Running free and he's waiting there for you and me.